This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, protests turned violent in Atlanta, Georgia yesterday. Police say agitators from a music festival changed into black clothing and began launching bricks and fireworks at them. We have the details. Norfolk Southern and Ohio are back in the news and not in a good way. Another train derailment happened there over the weekend. Former President Trump outlines the agenda for his presidential run at CPAC over the weekend. Find out what he says he'll do if he wins in 2024. The Shadow State documentary from the Epic Times was screened at CPAC. Hear audience feedback and thoughts from the film's writer and producer. And cold weather seriously affects the performance of electric vehicles. However, scientists are working to make cold weather range loss a thing of the past. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Monday, March 6th. Fires broke out after protests in Atlanta, Georgia yesterday. 35 people were arrested. The unrest unfolded at a police training center construction site. Cop City is what opponents of the plant Atlanta Public Safety Training Center mockingly called the site. The location has been the scene of brewing tensions. Demonstrators oppose what they see as the increasing militarization of police. They're also unhappy about the destruction of the forest, which they call the lungs of Atlanta. The police and fire training center is being built on 85 acres of a 400-acre city-owned property. It's within the larger South River Forest. Sunday's events began with a music festival attended by hundreds. That was part of a week of demonstrations against the construction. But police say events turned violent when so-called agitators changed into black clothing, breached the site and launched bricks, fireworks and other objects at officers. Heavy smoke could be seen for miles. Flames and smoke followed from multiple spots of, on the property. The area was on lockdown with a SWAT team reporting to the site. An overturned tanker truck exploded in Maryland over the weekend. Authorities say the fiery crash on Saturday killed the driver and burned vehicles and homes. The truck crashed on U.S. Highway 15 in Frederick, about an hour's drive west of Baltimore. A Maryland state highway official said the roadway was shut down in both directions after the crash. The vehicle was a gas tanker. It overturned, hit a tree, and then exploded. Maryland State Police tweeted that the cause of the crash is under investigation. County police said one home and three vehicles were damaged extensively, and five other homes and two vehicles received minor damage. No one else was hurt. The fire was contained in around 40 minutes. Ohio just can't catch a break, yet another Norfolk Southern train derailed there on Saturday. Those living near the accident site were ordered to shelter in place. The derailment happened near Springfield. The company says the train was not carrying hazardous materials and that no one was hurt. First responders on the scene were working to confirm that no toxins were involved. The accident follows a February 3rd derailment in East Palestine. That accident sent millions of pounds of toxic chemicals into the environment and forced thousands of people to evacuate. Norfolk Southern says Saturday's derailment involved about 20 cars of an over 200 car train. Officials haven't given a cause for the accident. 
U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown says there have been four derailments in Ohio in the past five months. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine said President Biden and U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg called him to offer any assistance needed with the latest accident. And some air travelers had a scare over the weekend. A Southwest Airlines flight had to turn around for an emergency landing yesterday morning. That was due to an apparent bird strike. The plane was headed to Fort Lauderdale from Havana. Passenger Ray Becker says he heard some sort of explosion minutes into the flight. The video he took shortly afterward shows black smoke in the cabin as an alarm blares in the background. A flight attendant can be heard in the video telling the passengers in Spanish to cover their noses and faces and to remain seated. Southwest says the pilots landed the plane safely and passengers exited by slides. The carrier is assisting the passengers with their lodging. Former President Trump outlined his agenda for his 2024 presidential run at CPAC over the weekend. The Republican candidate says he wants to finish what he started and that it's not enough to just stop the forces tearing America down. It's time to build America up again. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has some of the highlights from Trump's CPAC speech. Former President Trump predicted the U.S. is on a dangerous trajectory in his speech on Saturday, unless something changes soon. I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am your retribution. Not going to let this happen. He says sinister forces have done everything they can to stop him, silence Americans, and turn the nation into a socialist dumping ground for criminals and radicals and that the country is headed towards becoming a filthy communist nightmare. He likened it to a final battle. Either they win or we win. And if they win, we no longer have a country. Trump touted his former policies and contrasted them with the current administration. He says if back in the White House, he will revoke President Biden's executive order installing Marxist diversity, equity, and inclusion czars in federal agencies, urge Congress to create a restitution fund for Americans discriminated against by Biden's policies, and ban all racial discrimination by the government. Trump is referring to Biden's recent executive order to advance so-called racial equity and support for unserved communities. Trump says if elected, he will totally obliterate the deep state and fire unelected bureaucrats and shadow forces weaponizing the justice system. They're not coming after me. They're coming after you, and I'm just standing in their way. That's all I'm doing. He spoke about peace through strength, pointing out no new wars started during his presidency, reiterating his belief that Russia's invasion of Ukraine wouldn't have taken place if he was still in office, adding his personality type is one that can prevent World War III from breaking out. Trump said he plans to target gangs and drug cartels and increase border patrol and deportation agents if he wins in 2024, and swore to stand strong despite repeated investigations, vowing to stay in the presidential race even if criminally indicted. Every time the polls go up higher and higher, the prosecutors get crazier and crazier. We gotta stop these guys. Trump concluded by promising to complete the vision to make America great again. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The Epoch Times original documentary called The Shadow State was shown at CPAC. The film delves into the ESG agenda and its alleged impacts. We hear from the writer and producer of the film and from audience members who viewed it. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the screening. ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. But what exactly is ESG? And is it actually good for people and the environment? 
Does it benefit shareholders and those saving for their retirements? That's what the film sets to find out by interviewing people from both sides of the ideological divide. Kevin Stocklin, the writer and producer of the documentary, took questions after the screening at CPAC. Stockland says many of the policies being pushed by ESG could be done away with immediately if current laws were enforced. If we could envision a world where there, were, uh, where there was a president and, and an attorney general who actually wanted to enforce U.S. Uh, antitrust laws, this would be over with overnight. Uh, because all of this is illegal. It's also illegal under civil rights laws. You cannot discriminate, um, not the government, not private companies. You cannot discriminate on the base of gender or race or anything else. One audience member said the film was enlightening and that he learned a lot of details he wasn't aware of. This is one of the mo most important issues in the United States right now because we have something that's happening in the background that we can't vote on and we need to encourage our political leadership to, to go after it. The ESG movement includes the world's largest banks, investment managers, pension funds and insurance companies, as well as global clubs of CEOs and politicians like the World Economic Forum and a host of activist finance clubs. Audience member Jeffrey Morgan says what he learned about social credit scores and their implications on free speech was what was most concerning to him. If you get an um, environmental, social and governance score, the social score is what I'm really concerned about. What happens is when if you cross an ideological line and people peg you because you're not you know, you're being disruptive socially. Morgan says he's worried ESG, by imposing an ideological viewpoint on people, could lead to discrimination. The trucker protests up in Canada, and why were they, why were there all of a sudden their bank accounts being shut down on them? It was because they were protesting something. It was a free speech issue. You can learn more and watch the documentary on theshadowstate.com. Top conservatives tackled the American a battleground of education on CPAC's final day on Saturday. The panel was titled Education for Dummies. The guest speakers were former Virginia Congressman Dave Bratt and Congresswoman Diana Hashberger. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on what was discussed. Congresswoman Diana Harshbarger criticized race-based admissions and eliminating qualifying entrance exams at universities. You make the grades, you, you make the cut, you're the one that gets into school. You're not entitled just because of your color or your race or, wh or what have you. Harshbarger says she was the first in her family to graduate from high school and college, eventually earning a doctorate of pharmacy. She believes paying her student loans back in full made her a better person. Giving people something for nothing, there's no value in that. Yeah. Former Virginia Congressman and Dean of Liberty Business School Dave Bratt described an education battle on two fronts. He praised conservative parents for taking the fight to school boards nationwide on the political front and then touched on the so-called educational front. If your education debate doesn't have words like knowledge, truth, human reason, science, wisdom, if those terms are not coming up, you're probably not having a debate about education. Bratt discussed whether schools are used by the radical left to impose their ideology on society by shaping the minds of America's youth. This is just the Marxism, as Congresswoman just said. It goes back to Carl and 1860 and all that. Uh, but they, they've gotten very sophisticated, mm -hmm. and it started with just simple class war, but now they've invented more buckets uh, for the fight. The business school dean also addressed federal overreach in education. He says terms like equity and inclusion sound good, but are all designed to go after one team. 
Meanwhile, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis also addressed education, speaking in California at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library. But in the state of Florida, we're proud to stand for education, not indoctrination in our schools. DeSantis accuses the left of using people's tax dollars and public institutions to impose an ideological agenda. We believe the purpose of education is the pursuit of truth, academic rigor, and to give students the foundation so they can think for themselves and be citizens of our republic. DeSantis discussed the important role that parents play in their children's education and curriculum. Unfortunately, we see students 10 years old maybe and there will be pornographic books how did this happen and so now we've empowered parents with the ability to object and to get the inappropriate material out of schools desantis says what schools should be focusing on is math reading and the core subjects daniel monahan ntd news Coming up, a former Ecuadorian president has been indicted on corruption charges. The charges relate to bribes allegedly received over a contract for a Chinese-built hydroelectric plant in the country. Cold weather seriously affects the performance of electric vehicles. However, scientists are working to make cold weather range loss a thing of the past. More after the break. Welcome back. Australian police announced news of a major drug bust on Saturday. It's in relation to a joint operation with U.S. authorities. An international drug ring was taken down, resulting in the arrest of 12 suspects. Over 2.4 metric tons of cocaine was seized. That's about 2,200 pounds. Here are the details. This is the moment Australian authorities dropped 1.2 metric tons of fake cocaine 40 miles off the coast of Perth. This scene at the end of December was a key part of a joint US-Australian law enforcement operation that seized nearly $700 million worth of cocaine linked to a Mexican cartel and resulted in the arrest of 12 suspects. On Saturday, Western Australia Police Commissioner Cole Blanche released details about Operation Beach. We got some information from the Drug Enforcement Administration out of the Sydney office that approximately 2.4 tonnes of cocaine was going to make its way to Australia to be distributed throughout our country. The Drug Enforcement Administration sought the assistance of the US Coast Guard and just off the coast of Ecuador, they took out uh, packages equaling nearly three tonnes containing cocaine. We've used the quantity 2.4 because that's our estimate of the actual cocaine once you take the packaging away. That cocaine was equivalent to roughly half Australia's estimated annual consumption. Over a number of weeks, our officers from the Transnational Serious and Organised Crime Squad and other officers assisted to reconstruct those identical packages and drop 1.2 tonne of those drugs into the, into the ocean 40 miles off the coast. Three suspected members of the Australian arm of a drug syndicate were arrested on December 30th with the fake cocaine. They had allegedly made three trips through rough seas to collect the packages. A further nine arrests have been made and a large quantity of cash seized. A 39-year-old male US citizen was among the 12 charged, police said. Blanche said the operation sends a message to international traffickers that your deadly drugs are not welcome here. 
A request to charge a former Ecuadorian president with bribery was approved yesterday by a judge in Ecuador. The charges include bribery over a contract for a Chinese-built hydroelectric plant in the country. Under the indictment, former President Lenin Moreno is linked to having received bribes of nearly $80 million as part of a corruption scheme. The scheme operated between 2009 and 2018 and includes more than three dozen people. It links Moreno to the Coca Codo Sinclair hydroelectric project. Moreno denied any wrongdoing last month. The judge ruled as a precautionary measure. Moreno must appear every 15 days before the National Court of Justice. Moreno served as Ecuadorian president between 2017 and 2021. According to the prosecutor's office, the alleged bribes represent the highest amount prosecuted for acts of corruption in Ecuador. The hydroelectric plant linked to the case was built by the Chinese company Sino Hydro at a cost of over $2 billion. Ecuador's attorney general says China has not responded to a request for assistance in the case. Sino Hydro also did not immediately respond to a request for comment. A global race is on to improve the driving range of electric cars in the north. There, the short battery life in cold weather has a negative impact on the cost of driving. It can get as cold as minus 50. Here in Alaska's rugged and frigid interior, you wouldn't expect to find an electric school bus. But here is bus number 50. Quietly, it is traversing about 40 miles of snowy and icy roads per day. It shuttles students to school in the town of Tok, not far from the Canadian border. I'm in a very unique situation for driving the only electric school bus in Alaska, and the students love it. They think we're the just the bee's knees. We, they think we're awesome. It works okay on the daily route, but cold temperatures rob electric vehicle batteries of critical traveling range. Number 50 can't go on longer field trips nor can it travel to Anchorage or Fairbanks if it needs repairs. It is a problem to have batteries in cold weather, and we have a pretty cold climate, one of the coldest in North America. It's the same problem that owners of electric passenger vehicles and transit officials are finding in cold climates worldwide. At 20 degrees, electric vehicles just don't go as far as they do at the ideal 70 degrees. Part of it is that keeping passengers warm using traditional technology drains the battery. Stretch Blackheart owns Tok Transportation. No, I would not buy another electric bus, and mainly because of the costs. When the temperature hits zero, Blackheart's cost to run Tok's electric bus doubles from what it is in the warmer months. But there is hope. Scientists are racing to perfect new battery chemistries that don't lose as much energy in cold weather as today's lithium-ion systems. The range loss hasn't slowed EV adoption in Norway, where nearly 80% of new vehicle sales were electric last year. Recent tests by the Norwegian Automobile Federation found models really vary in how much they lose in the cold. General Motors is among those working on solutions. This is something that we find is extremely important for our customers that oftentimes struggle in cold weather conditions. At universities, as well as government and automaker labs, scientists are working on chemistry changes that could make the cold weather range loss a thing of the past. Cost MNS, NTD News.
Novak Djokovic has formally withdrawn from the Indian Wells Tournament. The tennis legend was unable to successfully apply for a COVID-19 vaccine waiver to enter the U.S. The Serbian is one of the most high-profile unvaccinated athletes. Last month, he applied to the U.S. government for special permission to play at ATP Masters events at Indian Wells and Miami. Unvaccinated foreigners are currently barred from entering the U.S. Djokovic last competed at the back-to-back -back Masters events in 2019. Florida Senators Rick Scott and Marco Rubio wrote a letter to President Biden last week urging him to grant the waiver request. Djokovic missed last year's Australian Open due to his vaccination status, and he was also not allowed into the U.S. for last year's U.S. Open. Djokovic said he would skip Grand Slams rather than have a COVID shot. No one from Djokovic's team was immediately available to comment on the withdrawal. Coming up, an old tradition for many Christians. The Lenten fish fry is reviving its popularity. Volunteers have created a modern tool to help find the nearest fish fry. We have more right after the break. Good to have you back with us. The Lenten fish fry is a popular tradition in many Catholic communities. In Pittsburgh, people have a modern tool to find their fish fix, an interactive map created by volunteer coders aimed at fostering community engagement. Let's take a look. The fish fry, a long-established Friday staple during Lent, is roaring back after COVID. It's a Pittsburgh thing, especially because it's tradition uh, coexisting with innovation, um, which I think is kind of a theme in Pittsburgh. We have we have the very old um, juxtaposed with the very new, um, and if. If with the fish fry map we can get people to those culinary traditions and, and hook that up. Some of Pittsburgh community halls are filled with dozens of people. The tables are full, a bustle of people of all ages accompanied by musicians. It's a long tradition in American cities with Catholic communities, particularly around the Great Lakes. Now the event is made known to a larger audience by combining tradition and innovation. In partnership with Code for Pittsburgh, Holland Barmer has helped more people know about the tradition. She created an online interactive Lenten fish fry map. This year, starting out, we have 193 uh, venues on the fish fry map. Um, they range from churches to fire halls um, to community organizations to restaurants. Many used to come regularly, using it as a good opportunity to meet friends and acquaintances and eat together. But these days, newcomers figure in the mix too. People are connected to their phones, they're connected to their smart devices. They want to be able to look and instantly say, where can I get a fish sandwich? Where can I bank? Where can I do anything? So I think it's a great resource. According to Holland Barmer, Pittsburgh Lenten Fish Fry Map is a totally volunteer-powered effort to get people to fish fries, not without success as one can see from the filled food halls. I think when you look at uh, ways that people can contribute to the culture and keep, keep making sure that it persists, products like this and projects like this are really an important way for people to be part of something that is an important tradition here in Western Pennsylvania and other, other places around the country too. Lent, the Christian fast before Easter, begins on Ash Wednesday. Costa Menes, NTD News. 
The world's most famous dog sled race kicked off Saturday with a ceremonial run on the streets of Alaska's largest city. So I'm really excited. We have a good, we've had a good season leading up to this, and uh, yeah, we're just excited to get out on the trail. Thousands of fans braved near zero degree temperatures on the streets of Anchorage. The world's most famous dog sled event known as the Iditarod has a long tradition in Alaska. This year's race started on Sunday, about 70 miles north of Anchorage. Only 33 mushers are in the race, the smallest field ever to compete in all 51 races. We came to see the Iditarod. This was one of those, um, I, I don't want to say bucket list, but it's one of those things that you know, you've heard about in Indiana. You know, you hear about it, you see occasionally on TV, and all of a sudden we had the opportunity this year to, to come and decided to do it. Let's, let's do this. These guys live for their dogs. And then we spent a lot of time um, reading about the Iditarod and the history. It's just been incredible. I, I admire these guys. This is dangerous. Some participants see it as a celebration of spring for villages all across the state. They say it brings communities and people together for an event that celebrates the history of Alaska and dog mushing. What an awesome tradition, and that's a great workout for the dogs. You know, Evelyn, those dogs need 10 to 12,000 calories a day. Wow. Yeah, really. They get uh, frozen snacks, and then they get warm meals at checkpoints. So. 10 to 12,000, that's, that's quite, but I shouldn't be surprised about this, to be honest, like the, yeah, like you said, quite the workout. Yeah. And the cold temperatures, phew. All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. You can share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at ntd.com. Write us if you want. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.